So, what Kevin and Faith did not realize is that everything that they were saying kind of flows into the direction I believe that the Lord is going to be taking us this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn Second Corinthians chapter 1. Um, we'll get there in just a second. I want to start off by saying this. She sang a song, Fear is a Liar. And he spoke an exhortation about speaking life and not allowing condemnation to breed into yourself. And there's a verse in 1 John, and it says this. It says, Perfect love casts out all fear. He that hath fear hath not been made perfect in love, because fear has torment. And so the result of how we speak and what we do over our life can produce fear in us. It can produce doubt in us. It can produce pain in us. However... That torment, that pain, that affliction has an enemy, and the enemy is love. And if we know anything about God, the one thing that we should know for certain is that God is love, and God's presence should cast that fear out. And therefore, God is in fact a God of comfort, because if His presence, His love, casts out fear, casts out torment, casts out affliction, then therefore He is the God of all comfort. Right? That's a, that's a simple mathematical equation. If fear brings torment and affliction and pain, and God is love, and love casts out fear, and it casts out torment, and it brings comfort, then therefore God is a God of comfort. Right? And now we celebrate this time of Christmas that we just, we just got done celebrating Christmas and before that Thanksgiving and this wonderful season that happens to be my favorite season of the year from Thanksgiving through Christmas and into the new year. And we're about to celebrate New Year. However, this Sunday is typically the Sunday that's forgotten. Everybody plans their Christmas message and expects a bunch of people to come on Christmas and then they start planning their new the year series, their New Year messages, and focusing on what they're going to do the following year. But often the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's is kind of forgotten. And I didn't want to just casually throw something together and bring you a empty word that just was sounded good or felt good from the pulpit. I wanted to actually bring you something that mattered, something that could impact your life, something that would have an effect. And so as I prayed... I just started thinking about the holidays. And I started thinking, Christmas is a joyous time and a time of comfort and celebration and happiness, but not for everybody. Not for everybody. Sometimes Christmas can be a time of pain. Sometimes we look at our table as we're feasting at Thanksgiving or even at Christmas dinner and we're seeing seats that are empty from loved ones that we've lost, people that have passed away, people that were in our life but have left our life and are no longer there, relationships that have been broken, children that never got to see the earth. You know, thinking about it, and I didn't meditate it very long on Christmas Day. I didn't let myself... Because if you start thinking on those sad things, sometimes it gets you down and you're in that lull of depression and you just can't get out. 
But some of you know, some of you don't. Faith and I, Asher's not our first child. Our first daughter was Eliana, and she died in Faith's womb. We never got to see her or hold her. And it was so wonderful, the medical community, and so sensitive as they are, they sent us a paper because Faith, the baby no longer had a heartbeat, and we, she, was, she was dead, and they had to do surgery so that Faith didn't lose her life also. Um, and it could have gotten pretty bad, but they caught it as soon as the heartbeat stopped, so it never progressed anything life-threatening on Faith, although it would have. But when they sent us the paper, when they sent us the bill, as sensitive as they are, they put it and they titled it Medical Abortion. And you can imagine the impact that that had on Faith, who was told that she wouldn't get pregnant because of some health conditions. And then she got pregnant, but she lost the baby. And then gets a paper that says that she aborted the baby, even though that's not what happened at all. And so the pain that that causes every holiday, every birthday, even if it's not at the forefront, stuff like that comes to your mind. You think about stuff like that. You think about a brother or sister who died too soon. You think about, you know, I had a cousin that hung himself. You think about family members that have taken their own lives or they've lost their lives tragically. You think about relationships that split off, what could have been but what isn't. You think about the pain and the heartache and that stuff, it stirs. And before you know it, a time that's supposed to be comforting and joyous and time of celebrating becomes a time of immense pain and immense sadness. And so as I was praying, I had a message that I was going to bring and my typical, you know, we need to be doing more self. My typical, we need to be reaching people. We need to be doing this. We need to be doing this. My typical fiery self. But it just didn't sit right. So I started seeking God's face, and I felt like I just needed to bring a word of comfort this morning, a word to say that even when you have all of that pain, even when there's all of that brokenness, and there's all of that sadness from families that are disjointed over fights or feuds or lost loved ones or terrible experiences, what have you, whatever brings you sadness in this time, Jesus is always there. And just as faith sang the song, the second song that she sang, We Need You. He will never turn away anyone that comes to Him. He never leaves you empty or broken or alone. When you need comfort because you're in a state of affliction, He's there. So we're going to read this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. And it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. 
Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. The good news is, is that there's always comfort for those who are hurting. God sees those that are in affliction. That's what we talked about last Sunday when we were talking about Christmas, that the very reason for Christ's coming was because God saw His people in affliction and they had no way out. They couldn't save themselves. They couldn't redeem themselves. So God sent Christ Jesus to comfort His people, to bring redemption, to bring a way out, to bring a way for them to have fellowship with God who is the God of all comfort. See, this whole process of comfort, this whole process starts with one thing, and that's a revelation of who God is. See, our life, we can go through our life and we can say that we're Christians and we can be Christians and we can do the right things and say the right things and we can give to the, those that are in need. We can give to the church. We can share the gospel. We can do all of these wonderful things and not really know who God is. Because we sometimes can get a skewed picture. We'll know a part of who God is. We'll know that He is holy and lofty and alpha and omega and the beginning and the end and the first and the last and that He is the sovereign Lord of the universe and He created the stars and He created the earth and He formed you from the dust of the earth. We'll see all of that and we'll know that aspect of God. Or we'll know that He was the Savior on the cross and that He bled and died as our substitute and we'll know His sacrifice. And we'll see these different aspects of God, that He is unchanging, that He is immutable, that everything in the world changes around Him, and the earth has a beginning and an end, but He does not change. Or we'll see that He is all good and that everything that He does, no matter what it looks like or what it sounds like or what it appears to be to us, is funneled through His goodness. And we can see these different aspects and leave out a piece of who God is. It's hard because there's so many different facets of who God is. There's so many different lenses with which we can see God that sometimes it's difficult for us to see every aspect of who He is and channel everything that happens through all that God is because He is so much bigger than we can comprehend. And so we go through these pains and we go through these times of affliction and so often, especially in Christian circles, we'll say, you can't be depressed because you're a Christian. You can't be sad because you're a Christian. You can't be hurting because you're a Christian. You can't be in pain because you're a Christian. And you can't be angry at that because you're a Christian. And we'll say all of these things. And Sherry's not right here to chime out after me, but what, is, what do I tell you guys every single Sunday? What is, the, what is my motif, my motto, my slogan? Be authentic. Be who you are, where you are. Be honest. If you're hurting, be hurting. If you're afflicted, be afflicted. Just be open and honest about it. I lost my first daughter. And sometimes that still hurts. I have family that I don't necessarily get along with. And sometimes that still hurts. I have a cousin, and he's such a good friend. There was three of us growing up. We were all just within a year apart, and we grew up together, and we did everything together. And all three of us you know, went our separate ways, and then we found the Lord, and for a brief time period, we came back together, and we even had a house together, and it was a lot of fun. And then one of them turned their back on me and went behind my back and said things and did things and attacked me, and all of this crazy crazy stuff and that relationship has still never healed there's forgiveness 
but still when we talk, it's civil, but it's not what it was. The love, that deep love, not that I don't love him and he don't love me, but that deep love that was there is gone. That deep brotherly, like I would do anything for you just because. It's just not there anymore. I mean, sure, I I would give my life for him and hopefully he'd give his life for me. But that bond, that intimate bond is just gone. We don't talk except on rare occasion. When used to, it was every single day. It's just gone. And sometimes when I think about that and think about the things that he did and the apparent no reason behind it, and I'm not saying I was innocent and everything because I'm not perfect, but when I think about that, it still has the ability to get me depressed. It still has the ability to get me down. When I think about some of my friends who have been in my life and then totally just out of nowhere it seemed, trash-talked my wife or walked out on us or went behind us to the church leaders to get us actually thrown out of a church because that has happened to me it hurts and so I cannot stand up here and lie to you and say that because I'm a Christian everything's peachy and peaches and cream all the time because that would be a blatant lie I hurt I think about Jesus when he went to Lazarus's tomb Jesus the son of God the King of kings, the Lord of lords. All power in heaven and earth is in His hand. I think about Him. And I don't know if many of you know the story, but his, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, their brother. Lazarus passed away. He was extremely sick before he died. He sent word to Jesus. Jesus tarried where He was at. Lazarus ended up dying. Jesus didn't make it there until four days after His death. He had a conversation with Mary and Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in Me, you'll never die. If you believe in Me, you're dead yet though you will live. That whole wonderful conversation. All power. He goes to Lazarus' tomb. He is the Son of God. He knows that He can raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows that He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows that in five to ten minutes, Lazarus is going to be standing fully alive in front of Him talking, carrying on a conversation. They're going to go eat together in a few hours. All of that. And it still says, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And they cry out, oh, look how He loved Lazarus and all this stuff. And I don't know if Jesus was crying because of their doubt and they're not understanding fully what He was saying or fully who He was. Or if He cried because Mary and Martha were in pain. Or if He cried because of the suffering that Lazarus went through. I don't know. I know that Jesus wept. Being the Son of God, being the Messiah, the King of Kings, He cried. I know that. And that's why I'm telling you, regardless of what the holidays bring to you, regardless of all the stuff that you go through, it's okay. If you're hurting, just hurt. But hurt in a healthy way, in an open and honest way, where you can share with others your pain and you can receive words of encouragement and you can receive prayer and you can receive the blessings that come from being a part of a body of believers. Hurt in a healthy way. Don't hurt in this unhealthy way where you tell everybody, God is blessing my socks off and I'm as happy as a clam and there's nothing that can get me down. And then as soon as they leave the room, tears start flowing down your cheeks because you're in so much pain that you just can't stand it. Hurt openly if you're hurting but if you're happy and you're joyous that's okay too be who you are be open and honest but this message is not to those that are happy and cheerful this message is those that are hurting 
And I think sometimes that whatever God's leading me to preach on, I think that I have the ability to experience that message the following week. Uh, Whitfield said that if I'm going to preach on hell, then the whole seven days before I preach, I feel like I'm in hell. And if I'm going to preach on heaven, then the whole week before I preach, I feel like I'm in heaven. This whole week, I have been in this state of lull. Like feeling like I just, God, please bring comfort to me. I'm preaching about comfort this week. I know that I'm preaching that you're our comforter. Please comfort me because I'm bummed out. This was our first Christmas away from family. Faith had all these traditions that she's had every single year of her life. And we moved down here 500 miles away to be the pastors down here. And she didn't get to do any of those traditions. And she said this, Christmas this year is just weird. It's not supposed to be 75 degrees on Christmas. You're not supposed to wear shorts on Christmas. Adam told me, he said, we've got all kinds of family pictures where we're in shorts and tank tops and what, what have you. And I said, that's unnatural. It should be snowing outside and you should be in sweaters and you should be drinking hot cocoa, watching it snow and watching Christmas movies with your heat on. Not blasting the air conditioning and walking outside in shorts Drinking ice cold tea. Like, no, that's not Christmas stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Southern Mississippi. But it was just, it wasn't bad. I mean, we had a great Christmas. We enjoyed our time with family. We relaxed and rested. And I was even lazy. I confessed that earlier. But it was just different. And so I know in Faith's mind, she's thinking about all the traditions that she didn't keep this year. Not grudging begrudgingly or upset about it just thinking about it and i know that that had to generate some pain in her and so if she's open and honest she's like yeah christmas probably wasn't as good as it has been in past because every year beforehand she knew what to expect she had a house full of her entire family and that was a crazy hectic christmas this year it was us and our kids being lazy different Not bad, just different. And I know that that generates pain. And sometimes we can lose a loved one, a family member, or we can have a relationship break off, or there can be a feud in the family, even if nobody's the one at fault. And Christmas or holidays just become different. Not bad, just different. And so that brings pain and generates affliction in our life. And we start beating ourselves up and we start saying all those negative things to ourselves. And we start saying things like, I must not be as good of a person as I should be. I must not have said the right things. And maybe you did slip up and say something wrong or do something that you shouldn't have done. And that generates pain because now you're like, well, I'm at fault. And now they won't accept my apology and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on of all the potential causes of pain at holidays. But the point is, is that holidays aren't comforting for everyone and the only way that we can get this is if we have a fresh revelation of who God is not that he is transcendent and lofty and all of that that I just said that's good and we need that but the fact that he is imminent meaning that he is near he is in our face right at our right hand that we should not be moved that he is right here ready and willing to be our comfort And to be the one who comforts us. It says He is the God of all comfort. All inclusive. Meaning this. That there is no true comfort outside of God. There are things that can temporarily distract us. There are things that can temporarily take our attention. So that we think we're comforted. But as soon as that distraction ends, the pain comes back. You know, I can be mad 
and then sit down and watch a football game. And for the length of the football game, maybe I'm in a good mood shouting at the team that's beating the Bears or whatever because that seems to be a norm lately. But as soon as the game is over, the pain comes back or the anger comes back or the thing that had me down comes back. And the issue, whatever it is, health, relationship, finances, whatever the issue is, is still there when the distraction ends. But if you can get a fresh revelation of who God is and that He is our comforter, then you can realize that you don't have to have a distraction, that you can be hurting, that you can be worried and still have faith. See, they have this lie that says that things like courage is the absence of fear or things like worry must be the absence of faith. That's not true. Faith is knowing the circumstances, having those feelings of worry and stress and all of that and saying, no, I'm going to hold on to who God says that he is and what he said that he'll do. That's what faith is. It's looking at the circumstances, looking at the natural, not lying, not denying it, but trusting that God's word supersedes the circumstances. So when you're looking at all the pain and you're looking at all the issues and you're looking at the things that could afflict you and bring you down during this holiday season, it's instead choosing, yeah, that's all true, but my God is my comforter. And in his presence, not P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. I took a risk. I spelled a word in front of everybody. I'm terrible at spelling. But his P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, his presence, the very aura, for lack of a better word, that surrounds where he is when he manifests himself to us. His presence is our comfort. It's our rest. It's our peace. Our peace that passes all understanding. They very Christmas songs and the very exhortation of the angel is peace on earth goodwill to peace peace nothing missing nothing broken everything whole the peace of god that passes all understanding the peace that only he can give the comfort that only he can give comfort being the alleviation of our afflictions and our pain not taking the circumstance away necessarily but giving us this rest and this assurance in the midst of those circumstances, in the midst of that pain, in the midst of all of that going on, regardless of what it may be, His comfort. Now, once we get this revelation, we have a responsibility. We have to receive it. Because I know many of you, because I do the same thing, you get in this mindset where you're so upset or angry or scared or what have you that somebody might present you a verse. For example, you're angry and somebody says, be not soon angry or let not the sun go down upon your anger or a verse exhorting you to not be angry. And you're like, I know what the word says. Don't quote scripture to me. Everyone here's done it. Don't lie. Don't lie. Just, just do that. Take your halos off and set them in the seat next to you. Everybody's done it. Everybody has snapped at somebody. You know, it's like, I'm just upset. Well, you know your heart should be on the Lord. It's like, I know that. <laughs> Everybody's done it. So not only do you have to have the revelation that God is our comforter, you have to actually receive the comfort that God's bringing to you. You have to actually receive and say, God, I need you now in this moment, not 
tomorrow, not yesterday. I need you now, right here, in this moment, in my pain, with my tears falling down my face, with my screams, with my yells, with my pain. I need you now, in this moment, to be my comfort, to be the very one that comes to me and brings me comfort and alleviation of my affliction. You have to receive that comfort. Because if you don't, it's just sitting there. God's not changing. He is the comforter, but it means nothing to you because you won't receive it. It's just like somebody, and I'll use faith as an example. One thing about becoming you know, a pastor, your wife and your kids, they're never free anymore. Their life becomes an example for the message. <laughs> but when Faith and I first got together, she had a very works-based mentality, not Christian-wise, but a works-based mentality life-wise, that she didn't want anything that she didn't work for, very independent. And so one of the things that was our biggest hurdle was I wanted to love her, but she didn't know how to receive that love. She didn't know how to receive something that she didn't have to work to earn. And so that became very challenging because I wanted to just do things for her and she didn't know how to receive the gesture of love. Like it was awkward. I would tell her and I still have trouble with this sometimes. You know, somebody blesses us and says, I just want you to spend this 20 bucks on yourself. And I'm like, okay, Faith, take this 20 bucks and go do something for yourself. And she comes back with like shoes for the kids or something. And I'm like, no, do it for yourself. And she has such a hard time just receiving that love for herself, just receiving love. And some of us have such a hard time when it's from God. We know that He's there as our comforter. He's there as our deliverer. He's there as our healer. He's there as our friend. And we just can't receive it because we look at who we are and we think that we are so undeserving that there has to be something that we have to do to earn that comfort or to earn that healing or to earn that friendship or to earn that love. So we go right back into that workspace mentality where we're trying to earn it. We're trying to earn it not knowing that He has just given it freely. Look, we just celebrated Christmas, so the Christmas examples aren't going to stop for at least six months. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we, there's nothing that we could have done to earn the coming of Jesus. Like, that's preposterous. There's nothing that we could have done to earn His coming. That was an act of God's love <laughs> towards us, freely given. And so... That's offers there regardless of who accepts it. Even though there's, I don't know, 7.8 billion people in the world and only 33% of those people are Christians in name. So that means that you've got 67 roughly percent of people in the world that don't profess Christ that are on their way to hell right now. That means that regardless of the 67% that's on their way to hell, Jesus is still Savior. Regardless of whether they receive it or not, He's still Savior. Regardless of everyone in this room, if everyone in this room rejected Christ as Lord, He's still Lord. If everyone in this room rejected Christ as Healer, He's still Healer. If everyone in this room rejected Christ as our Comforter, He's still the Comforter. And so we have to receive His comfort. We have to be open to it. We have to say, God, I need you to comfort me now in this moment. Now, come to me and bring me comfort. Bring me rest. Bring me peace because I need it. So we have to have a revelation that God is our comforter. And then we have to receive the fact that He is our comfort. 
And then once we have both of those, then we have this unnatural ability to reproduce it. We have this ability to then share that comfort with others because we have been comforted by God. Then we have the ability when someone else is in pain or affliction, we can introduce them to Jesus and say, this is what I'm telling you. This is the peace that passes all understanding. This is the comfort that I can't explain. This is the gift of God through the person of Christ Jesus. This is comfort. And we can reproduce that and we can share that love and that peace and all of that with another person. If we have the revelation, the reception, then we can have the reproduction and we can reproduce that in other people. Now I want to give you an example of this. Jesus Christ was truly God and truly man. And if you want to write this down, it's Matthew chapter 8 and it's verses like 1 through 3. Truly God and truly man. He was truly man, meaning that he humbled himself, set aside his deity, took on flesh, and was born in the form of a man. And he lived his life as a man being led by the Spirit of God. And then after his resurrection, he retook his deity and took his place as the third member of the Trinity. Jesus Christ, truly God, truly man. In this... He goes up on a hill and he begins preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest message ever preached. But once that's finished, he comes down. And as he comes down, there's a man with leprosy, a skin disease, where your skin and your nerve endings, they lose their feelings so you can no longer feel pain, and then body parts start falling off. Because there's no nerve endings, they're not sending any brain signals to that. There's no blood flow, it just body parts start falling off, and it's contagious. And a man comes up to Jesus, doesn't touch him because he's contagious, but he falls down in front of Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Meaning if you're willing, you can not only heal me, but you can announce me as clean. Now, Jesus being a man, being a man high in society, because this is before his rejection, high in society, great teacher, brilliant, had huge amounts of followers, he looks at this man and he says, I am willing, be thou clean, if you're King James. And he touches him. He violates the religious order because according to religion, a clean person cannot touch an unclean thing without being instantly named unclean. And then they, if they touch somebody else, then that other person will be named unclean. But he violates the religious order of the society. He violates the physical order because now he's risked himself getting leprosy by touching somebody that had a contagious skin disease. The modern look of this would be if somebody was laying in the street bleeding open and you knew that they had AIDS and you run and put your hand on their wound to keep them from bleeding to death. I mean, how many of us would do that instantly or how many of us would cycle through, well, if I touch them, their blood, I could get AIDS, so I can't do that. That's, I mean, that's the modern, current parallel. He touched a man that had leprosy. He could have gotten leprosy, hypothetically. He could have gotten leprosy. And then he violated the social status of the society by touching someone that was unclean, somebody that was rejected and despised by society. And he did all of this, and the man was healed from that very moment, was made clean, beautiful. 
But the point that I want you to understand is not the healing that happened to that man's body. It's the healing that happened to that man's heart and the healing that happened to that man's mind. Because if you can imagine having a skin disease, I don't know how severe it was. I don't know if he had any fingers or toes or anything that had fallen off. I don't know how bandaged up he was or how ugly he looked at the time. You know, I don't know any of that. I don't know if he had had leprosy a month or if he had had it 30 years. I don't know. But the point is, is that he had already experienced rejection. People wouldn't walk on the same side of the street as him. He wasn't even allowed in the main portion of town. They had leprosy camps set up outside of town. So he couldn't even go where everybody was at. If he had a family, he would have had to leave his family where they were at and go outside of town because he was pronounced unclean and he didn't want to give his family leprosy. So everything that he knew and everything that he was all he had experienced was rejection and pain and I'm sure that his body hurt in places because it was making up for the pain in his other parts of his body. I mean, you've hurt your foot before and you have to walk on the other foot. The other foot starts to hurt after a while. It starts screaming in pain because it's like you're putting a lot of pressure on me to keep pressure off the other leg or vice versa. If it's one hand and you're having to do everything with your other arm, the other arm will get tired out, etc., etc., etc. When we have an injured body part, we tend to show extra care to it. So the rest of our body has to take that load. So even if his hand or whatever had leprosy couldn't feel the pain, the rest of his body was. So he was in pain. He was rejected by society. He felt like an outcast. He was separated completely. This man's life up to this point probably sucked. I mean, he had probably contemplated suicide. I mean, I know a lot of people that would never dream of that, but they get put in the position with different things such as you know fibromyalgia or those different diseases that cause 100% pain all the time and they start experiencing all this. They start contemplating things that they would never contemplate. I don't know if he was married, but he at that point never no longer was able to have you know intimacy with his spouse, etc., etc., etc. He got to a point to where he had nothing. He needed some comfort. And Jesus, being the Son of God, perceived that and didn't just heal him. Because Jesus, right after that story, the centurion comes up to him and he says, my servant is sick. And Jesus says, should I go to your house? And he says, no, if you say the word, then I know that he'll be healed. So Jesus doesn't even have the servant that's sick anywhere near him can't even see him and says he's healed and he's healed immediately. Jesus didn't have to touch the leper. He didn't have to. He could have just said, you're clean, you're healed, get up, go, bye. But he sensed a greater need than just the physical healing. And sometimes we get so caught up in what we're looking at affliction-wise that we can't see the greater need underneath that. Sometimes we can't see the pain that we have in other areas because we're so focused on the pain that we're afflicting or that we're experiencing. We can't see that when I'm thinking about something that I said, some bonehead statement that I made behind the pulpit that I shouldn't have made and how I need to go and clarify what I actually said or when I'm thinking about somebody that's walked out on my life or when I'm thinking about friends that I no longer have or when I'm thinking about my lost daughter and I begin to get into a state of depression or I begin to get into a state of despair, I don't see my wife and my children experiencing the pain of where I'm at now. I don't see them feeling the pain. I don't see what I'm doing to them. I don't see the pain that I'm causing others because I'm so focused on the pain that I'm experiencing. 
See, we, we read about the leper and we talk about him, but we don't know about the leper's family. We don't know about the pain that they're in, about how the father figure of the house is no longer able to have the job that he once had. So now how are they eating? They don't have their father around to teach them things that only a father can teach. So now how are they learning? What are they learning? We don't think about those things. We think we read the story and then we move on, but we don't think about all the pain and everyone that's actually involved in the story, even though their name's not mentioned. And there's a lot of people that are involved in your story that you may not think about when you're experiencing that pain. There's a lot of people that when you're down and you're depressed and you're hurting and you're experiencing the affliction, that they're hurting just as bad because you're hurting. And that if faith would have allowed the fact that this Christmas was weird to afflict her all day, then our kids' first Christmas in southern Mississippi wearing shorts would have been awful. We don't think about those things because we get so caught up in our own little world. And I, for one, don't want to allow my failures and my mistakes to generate pain and affliction that becomes pain for my kids. Right now, they're not really to the point to where they're going to remember these things for the rest of their life, except through you know the occasional pictures. But soon, as they get five, six, seven, and older, what I do, they're going to remember some of those things for the rest of their life. So if they see their father always checked out because of the pain that he's experienced from ministry, because ministry is hard, then they're going to remember that, and that's going to give them a negative view of ministry. If they see their mother always hurting because she moved away from family, then they're going to have a negative view of moving away from family. And that might be okay. I'm just kidding. But, but they're going to have, it's going to generate mindsets that they're going to keep for the rest of their life. Unhealthy mindsets because of the pain that we've allowed ourselves, simply because we won't allow God to be our comforter. So this morning, that's the whole kit and caboodle lack of a better expression is if you're hurting if you're afflicted that's okay it's okay to hurt and it's okay to have pain just have it healthy in a healthy manner hurt but be open and honest that you're hurting and ask for God to comfort you in your pain but don't allow your pain to consume you in such a way that you no longer have faith for that, that you no longer have trust in God for that, that you no longer trust that He is able not only to comfort you, but to move in your situation. And then you become pain to those around you. Iron sharpens iron. We're supposed to encourage and build up and strengthen and sharpen one another. But we cannot do that if we conceal everything. We cannot do that if we conceal our pain. So this morning, if you have pain, just have it. Be open and honest about it. Then ask for God to comfort you. Accept the love of those around you. And move on. Now some pain can't ever really truly be moved on from. I get that. Every time I think about my daughter, I still hurt. Every time I think about friends that have walked out on me, I still hurt. But the truth is, is now I know that God is there for me whether they're there or not. Whether they're there in my life, whether they're off somewhere else, whether they've died and gone on, 
whatever my financial situation may be, whatever my health situation may be, whatever my friendship social situation may be, whatever my mental situation may be, dear God, whatever my situation may be, God is able to meet me right where I'm at. Just like He met the leper right where He was at. The leper didn't have to climb the hill. Jesus came down. It's a picture of Jesus coming from heaven to the earth. We didn't have to ascend the mountain to climb to get to God. God chose to come down. He met us where we were at. And then He touched us. Because not only did He want us healed, but He wanted us whole. Meaning He wanted us to be whole in mind, to know that if nobody else loves us, God does. If nobody else is there with us, God is. If nobody else is on our team, God is. And He wanted us to be clean in His sight. And the only way that that happened is through Jesus. Does all of this make sense? Does all of this make sense? So this morning, we're going to close out in prayer. And this is how we're going to do it. You don't have to come up. If you want to talk to me after service, that's fine. And I don't do this normally, but I just want everybody to just bow your head and close your eyes. And I just want to pray over the entire congregation because you don't need, I don't need to know your specific situation. I just want to pray this. God, everyone here has pain in their life and it may not be prevalent during the holidays. Maybe the holidays isn't the source of their pain. Maybe the holidays is their distraction. But whether or not they're hurting during the holidays or whether they'll hurt immediately following the holidays, Lord, I just ask that You show them that intimate, imminent aspect of Yourself that You are their comforter and that the very presence of Your being is comfort for them. And I just ask God that they would be able to receive it. That they would stop rejecting or refusing Your love, even if it's unintentional. But they would become open to receive the love that You want to give to them. And that they might receive that peace that passes all understanding. And that You would bless them and cause them to be reciprocators or reproducers of that peace and that comfort. So that because they are so comforted by You, that they might be able to become a source of comfort for those around them. And I just ask, Lord, that in all of this, You bless them and show them Your presence and Your love. In Jesus' name, Amen.